So I'm surprised that the Sabres actually won a game before we were going to record our next podcast. I thought Anton was going to be, you know, he was a little bit optimistic that the Sabres were going to win um, April 1st. But, you know, he was closest out of the three of us. That would be me. I thought, you know, new month, new team. But they surprised me and they decided to win. This, they decided to win on the very last day of March. I am still of the belief that none of us are winners. Well, aren't the Sabres winners? They're winners, I guess. But they're they're not winners in my books. They won the game, but they're not winners. They just lost. They just stopped losing as hard. I'll be honest. If I were in their shoes, I would have gone for 19 and just set a record. Because now you're just known for being tied for the worst losing streak in history of the league. I mean, I would rather be tied than la- than creating a new record. You know what I mean? Like, nobody remembers the guy, the co-gold. Everyone remembers the guy who made the new Olympic record. I would like to say, though, that the Sabres, I think they lost their next game right after anyway. So, um... And there's about 20 games left in the NHL season. So they could they could go on a 21-game losing streak to finish off the season if they really wanted to. We're making history, Sabres. Let's go. History, history, history. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I thought um, I thought you were going to say they're going to go on a 21-game winning streak. And I was like, you're cautiously optimistic there. Uh, that's not cautiously optimistic. That's just dumb. So um, I, I'm not at that stage, but I would just say that um, congrats to the Sabres. Uh, congrats to Anson for winning a meaningless bet because apparently we're all losers for guessing when the Sabres are going to win next. And yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to go on another losing streak. So uh, we shouldn't, uh, we, we can, you know, talk about this again when they're at, you know, 10, 12, 15 games again uh, down the road. Hey, what did I win? Um, you win the satisfaction of guessing, being the closest to guess that the when the Sabers were gonna win their next game. How about that? Should we do? Should we do another one when they when they're gonna win the next one? Um, I don't think it's as exciting anymore because I mean they're only on a one game losing streak. They could be on a two game losing streak by the time this episode comes out, but you know it's just not as exciting, right? It's more fun when a team's gone like they got reached like, the ten game mark before everyone takes notice, right? Like you you don't really notice a streak until it reaches like double digits. I find. I mean, do you want to be known for that? <laughs> Well, it seems to be the only way that we can talk about the Buffalo Sabres. So, I mean, if the Sabres want us to talk about them more on the Bag of Pucks podcast, um, you know, just go on another uh, losing streak. Go on a 10-game losing streak. But since you guys aren't on a 10-game losing streak right now, that, that means we can't talk about them anymore. So why don't we start the show properly and talk about someone else? You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we are back. So instead of talking about the Sabres, let's talk about the other team that joined the NHL at the same time as they did. Um, I want to say, was it 40 or 50, 40 years ago, correct? 41? Sure. 
Anyway, it was before our time, but let's talk about the Vancouver Canucks because, you know, they, they've kind of been in a little bit of a drought, I would say. And, you know, many teams didn't think they would uh, get so low, but then they, uh, they started coming back up. But, you know, they're still not a great team. And to me, it seems to me like the season is probably a lost cause at this point. Um, the North is pretty much... I want to say settled in terms of who's making the playoffs and who's not. And um, it's time to look into next season. So the uh, Canucks have started their first um, piece of work and they've re-signed uh, Thatcher Demko uh, five times fine, uh, five times five. How does everyone feel about that? Um, I'm going I'm, to I'm, I'm I'm turn back a little here before, before we go talk about Demko. Have you seen, um, have you seen what's going on with the Canucks there? And so I'm not the only one who who hasn't seen that who's seen this, right? Like Jeffrey just hasn't seen this. You mean they got COVID? Yeah, <laughs> Jeffrey, you know that, right? Yeah, I do, but it wasn't part of the story, so I just wanted to leave that out. I thought that was something that we could tie into the at the end of the Canucks conversation, not the beginning. But we can talk about it right now. We can talk about how the Canucks, um, unfortunately, have an, a a case of the COVID. A case would be be calling it um. Putting it lightly, I think they have what nine players um, out with COVID. I have a thing. I just found it. It's um some cases the team medical staff have gone to the homes of the players to give them IV treatments. See, I'm not gonna speculate what that means. Um, and that's from Darren Dreger, right? So just you know, give credit where it's due because uh, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to get in trouble for slander if it's not true. <laughs> um, but. Nine players, and apparently, according to TSN, that they have the Brazilian uh, variant. Not great. Not great. I, I am a little concerned. At this point, if you're the NHL, do you just go, look, look at the standings. Let's be realistic here. What if we just cancel the Canucks? Because the other option is going like, hey, Utica, what if you lose ev- – what if you go for the Sabres record because we take all your players and play for the Canucks instead? Well, I don't think we should be making assumptions that everyone who goes on the protocol list is positive. I mean, it, it's too much to speculate at this point. Like, the only confirmed positive test result is Adam Gaudet. And yes, there are quite a few Canucks and Canucks staff that are on the protocol as well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they all are positive, right? It could be two or three. Um, it could be nine or ten, right? But I, I don't think that's something that um, we should speculate too much on. I think it's just the case that, you know, we hope everyone gets healthy and everything and that eventually they can resume the season because... Um, you know, those games that, that if we cancel the Canucks, right, that's going to affect all six other Canadian teams if they still have games to face against them, right? So I, I wouldn't go um, overly exaggerated to c- cancel the Canucks per se, but I mean, we looked at the the Habs and that got resolved fairly quickly. It was a week off. Uh, maybe the Canucks might only need a week off as well. I respectfully disagree. I think... Didn't the Montreal Canadiens only have like, not only, but they had like four or five cases, was it not? They had like much fewer cases than the Canucks. 
even if it's like say four each person it affects each person differently like rasmus ristolainen he got it earlier this year and he's like he's like how do i say it? he's like a top he's the best physical shape like a person could be he's like in the 99th percentile of like the human like us right but he <clears throat> he got it so bad that he couldn't like get out of his bed for like a week and a half so i don't think it's like it's fair to say like a week is enough because it hits everybody differently while on top of that um just because like you're clear from the virus doesn't mean that you can't say transmit it to other people well the key here is that with the virus right it's not about getting everyone back healthy before a team can start playing it's once they've done all the contact tracing to make sure that they've tested everyone who may have been in contact with the positive case so then that's how they can determine that you know when's it safe for the team to play because if you've contact traced and you've gotten every single person that may have could potentially test a positive could have been come in contact with the virus in theory if after you've you know test everyone's negative um and you've given it time you've done multiple tests in theory you're allowed to resume practice because if you maintain that bubble you should be able to play so like unless a team is decimated to the point where like half your team has covid i i get what you mean that you know covid affects everyone differently but from a playing standpoint for the nhl it's as long as the spread is contained um realistically once that spreads contained then the connects can play so that's kind of what happened with the Habs, right yes a couple of people were on the protocol but once they've contained it they were able to resume practice and uh, play the next day but i guess my concern is yes they can play but a lot of these guys are going to be i don't know if they're gonna be playing shape like four or five guys, like I, I, I'm agree with this point basically. Like four or five guys, not great, but you can kind of plug it in with a taxi squad. Eight or nine guys, concerning because you're gonna plug in your taxi squad and hope that your taxi squad cover, and then you're gonna go to your minors, right? Like we're not just because they're the team is out of protocol. We can't assume every player is ready to go either. Like literally, look at Rasmus Brusselina. He he's still kind of out of shape after what two months of getting it okay that entire team is out of shape (laughs) (laughs) that's a separate story but yes remember like but you know what i'm saying like he even had a comment saying he just he just it was impossible for him to get out of bed for like a week well obviously like i think for me at least i I assume my co-hosts agree with me we hope obviously that this team is not that effective right like from our perspective if we want to be selfish here Anta and I have always been on the team of, hey, we're going to finish the season on time. It's going to be great. So on the selfish side, you know what? Like I got a, I got a, a pride thing here, but also you always want your players to be you know, healthy. But my point is like I'm concerned that when they come back, is everyone back? And at what like health level are they at? And I, I, I have some serious questions there. Well, I mean, I don't think that's going to concern the NHL per se. I just think they want to make sure that the games can be played. So I, I think that's the unfortunate case. I mean, we still don't know how many 
are actually going to be positive. We don't know how long it's going to take them to, uh, you know, resolve everything to stop contain the spread and then eventually be able to ice a team that can play. Like I'm sure the NHL does think a little bit about making sure that the games are still competitive, right? It's not going to be like what we saw with um, the NBA where a team can only, you know, dress eight guys and half the team is in the G League or um, the NFL where a team has no quarterback per se. So I think the NHL will still keep that in mind. But I I, I definitely think that, um, like, there's going to be some effect, but uh, we, we still need to hear more before we can actually say, like, is it all the guys on the protocol list all testing positive or is there only a couple? And... Um, to say that the NHL season is going to finish on time, um, I, I unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, not because of the Vancouver Canucks, actually. I think it's going to be because of the Edmonton Oilers because um, they had a couple of games rescheduled because uh, Montreal was off. So that they, they got the games pushed to, I think, it's after this season was supposedly going to end. So now that they, I think they lost two or three games against the Vancouver Canucks being postponed, those games are going to have to be probably be even later than that so um i guess we'll see okay but we'll go back to where jeffrey was going to go with dr demko five by five i uh i really like it i don't know i know jeffrey will tell me be like this is the dumbest deal i've ever heard no to man you know the fact that you like it just shows how dense of a hockey fan you are but i like it i think it's reasonable for a goalie five by five i think if they did a bridge, it'd be like four anyways for two years. The fact that you put an extra million and you lock them up long term for your goalie, I like it. Um, especially when you're considering that they're also, you know, they're still, they only have one year of where they're spending a lot on goalies. So that's next year when they're spending five on Demko, 4.3 in Holt B, and three, I think, on Luongo. And then after that, it's a lot more smooth sailing. Um, you know, like the first the first year of Demko, sorry, the second year, so in two years, when Demko's the only one making five million, Holpi's a UFA, they're not paying Rulongo anymore on cap hit wise. Um, they no longer have to pay for Roussel. I believe Ericsson's contracts over there ends as then as well. Um, you know, Jay Beagle, that like that saga's over. Um, and Brand Sutter's contract's over. So I think, like, that's a great time for a reset by then anyways. So I like the timing of that deal. Now, Jeffrey, why is this the dumbest deal I've ever known to man? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's the dumbest deal. Like, I, I'd say it's interesting to lock up uh, Demko here, but it kind of signals to me that um, in the offseason, Pedersen and Hughes are going to sign bridge deals, unfortunately. I think that you know, we've all, you know, complained about Jim Benning that he shouldn't sign guys on free agent contracts. And it, it's come to show right now, right? You've got Demko up, you've got uh, Pedersen up, Hughes up, all in the same offseason. And you've still got guys like, um, you know, Roussel, you got guys like Beagle, you still got guys like Erickson still on your books, right? Like, if these guys weren't there, signing any of these three guys wouldn't be so much of a problem. But now is the point where they're going to have to figure out how they're going to re-sign all those guys. Plus, they've got, still got a lot of empty roster spots going into next year. So um, either 
hopefully they work out maybe a deal with Seattle maybe to get some money off the books. I don't know if that's an option, but um, the way I look at it, like for Demko, you know, he hasn't even played, you know, 82 NHL games. He hasn't even played a full season. So, you know, good on him for getting five on five, like five by five. Uh, you know, he's going to be get paid well. Um, the Canucks are buying into his prime season and it, it, it's a fairly big bet um, considering the fact that, you know, uh, this is a guy who's played less than 100 NHL games. But I, I guess they've seen enough out of him to reward him with that contract. How about you, Anson? What's your thoughts? Uh, I'm just going to ask Allison this question. When when did they sign Halibut to an extension? Ooh, I think two seasons ago. Would that be right? Uh, that sounds about right. But if you give me two seconds, I will give you a better answer. Uh, your better answer is going to come at 2018. So, yeah, two, two and a half seasons. Two, two, two to two and a half years ago. Jeez, I can't speak. So okay, so he had a body of he has a pretty decent body of work when he signed the contract there. Yeah, he had about one and a half seasons. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm kind of in the same boat as Jeffrey, but I'm rather I'm kind of like um I think five by five for like again like less than a hundred games in his career is a little much for me, but at the same time, like goalies are wild cards. Markstrom wasn't. You know, Markstrom until a couple of years ago, and he was like what 27, 28, something like that. The fact that I guess Demko's showing this much promise, and he's only twenty five right now, and you're signing him from twenty five through thirty, or twenty six through thirty one, whatever. Um, I think that shows promise, and like at worst, well, actually at worst it could be pretty bad, but at best you could get a pretty good body of work for only five million dollars and like like Austin said like after a couple of years uh Lilongo's retirement cap comes off the books uh hope he comes off that's like what another five six million dollars so yeah you also have money to spend if for like I don't know say Michael DiPietro for like a little bridge contract for him in a couple of years if you really want to like a, a little 1a 1b with DiPietro and um Demko I mean I think that over the next couple of years, especially if you take a look, I think sports are going to come back pretty well for the NHL, right? So, like, you'll have people coming into games. Uh, your TV deals coming in, so you're making some good money. Um, like, the economy is doing pretty well in the States. Like, I think by year three, the cap's going to be up a lot anyways, where a guy like Demko is probably going to get, be getting paid, like, a 1B. So, I mean... It's not that bad. Like maybe he might suck in year one, year two if he, you know, craps the bed. But year three, year four, that's one B money. Like that's not that much. If you look at Braden Hopi as your one B right now, he's getting paid like that. That's about extra seven hundred. That's about you know fifteen, seventeen ish percent. I could see the cap going up seventeen percent in the next three to four years with like with the money coming in and everything. So I don't, I don't think that's that bad. Um, and the fact that you're saying, hey, they're going to be on bridge deals, I think that should have been the plan from the start. Because if you, in two to three years, a lot of those really bad contracts are off your books in two to three years, right? Your Sutters, your Roussels, um, your Tyler Myers is, you know, it's getting there, but your other contracts over, you know, Jody Ben contracts over, 
um, your Furland, Erickson, Beagle, Congress all over. Like you're, I think that's the plan regardless. I just worried that, yes, those contracts are coming up, but if you have those guys on bridge deals um, in two to three years as well, guys like JT Miller are going to be up. Guys like Brock Besser are going to be up. Guys like Bo Horvat's going to be up. Are you going to have enough money to sign all those guys, right? So, I, I, like, uh, we're pushing away from the conversation from Demko. I, I think Demko at 5x5, five five, that's, if you just need a steady presence in net, perfectly fine but um if we're looking at you know hughes and Pedersen now um it, it's gonna be interesting can they keep this core for long enough to you know be a contender for at least a couple of years or is it gonna be uh like one year where they're just gonna shoot for the cup and then if they don't win the cup that year they're gonna have to you know retool i would say the leafs are showing right now that hockey is maybe a bit more of a star focused sport than we've we kind of thought it would be you know when you're you know four or five top player four or five most like four or five players are making a significant chunk of recap i think the canucks may have to trade their way kind of out of it a little bit they may have to trade away one or two of their stars but it's kind of showing that you can kind of just have Four guys, five guys, just making nothing. <laughs> I started making a whole bunch and a whole bunch of like pieces. If you scout well enough, which credit to, credit words do, the Canucks do, you might be able to, to get it done, right? Like so much for being like, hey, you know, five by five for Demko, and you look at well, Frederick Air- Frederick Anderson signed a five by five, and this was very similar. I think to the situation as well, maybe at a bit more, bit larger of a body of work. Um, but at the same time, I think inflation, you know, makes it set be like a, makes it worth a bit more. So maybe like a five by six, you kind of draw that, draw from there as your foundation. A five by five is kind of similar to Freddie Anderson's contract. And I'm fine with that. Freddie's, Freddie's contract only doesn't work if he doesn't perform. Right. So I'm fine with that. No, that's that. That's very fair. Um, speaking about trading stars, um, Anton, how's uh Patrick Liney and Roslevic doing for you guys after we they did so well for the first two games? Oh, you wanna know how uh, Roslevic's doing? He's been scratched tonight. I'm not kidding. I know. Um, so how's that trade coming along? It's coming along. Um, they want to play Liney as a power forward, which is kind of funny and Roslovic has been I'd argue one of our better players since he came over and um the fact that he's being scratched it's how you say it you know when Torts was in like New York and like Vancouver and you could kind of see the writing on the wall when he like stormed I think what Calgary's dressing room and then he like starts snapping at the reporters uh, when when he was with the Rangers um, I think this is like finally his like the writing on the wall for him as a the Jackets coach. I, I don't know. I, I I think you guys know my thought about this, where I'm just like, Torts is a great motivational coach, but you get tired of that really quickly, right? Like, don't look at it as hockey. Look at it, you know, in your workplace, whether you know you're an office worker or you work in the kitchen, right? Like, 
let's say you work at you know a restaurant. If your head chef is Gordon Ramsay and he's screaming at you every day that like you're an idiot sandwich, eventually you're just gonna be like, dude, I'm just gonna tune you out. So tough love goes. Uh, tough love works at first, but it doesn't go long term. Yeah, like you you starting to see less of these like super fiery coaches because I think you're starting to see that it's just like, it doesn't really work. Maybe it's a millennial thing. Maybe. Yeah. It's like a generation thing or like it worked back then, but it doesn't work for the stars now. Yeah. Like it works. And maybe it works well with the young team in the sense that it's just like, Hey, you're fresh in the NHL. You're like, Hey, you know, scared, you, you know, you're going to get demoted, you know, and everything. Once you kind of establish yourself a little bit, it's just hard. You know, because it's just like, oh my God, he's yelling at us for the third time this week. And you're just like, I really don't care at this point. Right? Like, Torrance seems like a super guy outside of hockey. Right? Like, if he's in, like, the uh, analysis position, you know, things he does for, I think it was um, the SPCA in Columbus. Like, great guy. Nothing against this dude. And it's just that I don't know how effective an angry coach is long term just because you kind of start tuning them out. Yeah, and I think it worked the first couple of years he was here, and especially that year that we swept uh, Tampa. But I think from that point on, it was kind of not downhill, but like you could see that it's not really working. Like even this year, like Seth Jones, he's been out of position at times, and at this point, there's only so much you could do until like your system doesn't work. And basically, the way I look at it is torts. For your team, torts can bring your floor up a bunch, but your ceiling is a lot lower. You know what I mean? But at this point, I think the floor and the ceiling aren't that far apart. I don't know. That I think for me, it's just looking at that trade. I, I He's not a power forward, and I feel like he's being played as a power forward to, in a way, build his value a little bit. When he can't score, which I, I get the intention, honestly. I think the intention is a good intention. Where it's just like, look, if you can't score, you kind of do something else, right? Like, if you are, I don't know, we'll go back to the chef example. If you suck at making, you know, like dinners, you kind of like retrain them and make them, you know, a dessert chef, right? Kind of go from there. That's I, like, I get it, but it's just like, you don't go to a, you know, a world-class chef and be like, like main course chef and be like, hey, not doing so hot, you know, last month, you messed up a few orders. Let's make you a dessert chef and start from the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'll be honest, at this point, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaning towards the idea of like selling at the de- deadline just because like we're in a dogfight for the last spot in, I think, the central in the division. So it's like, even we... Even if we make it, it's gonna be against Tampa. That's the like that's how it's looking, and it's, and if you put us against Tampa in in uh, in the playoffs, like I think ninety five percent of the time you would pick Tampa, regardless of who you cheer for. Okay, but as a Blue Jackets fan, let me know if I'm going too far off the rails here. Um, are you concerned this will affect your team's ability to get free agents? Okay, who was our biggest free agent though? That's my point, where 
you're already on it. You're not going to be able to get free just because teams are like, yo, players are like, ah, I don't want to play there. Why would I want to play there? <laughs> get screamed at and trying to change the way I play. Like, look at this. Uh, well, Torch, Torch's uh, contract expires this year. So if they do resign him for like an extension, I would be surprised. I won't be happy. I'll be honest with you. Just the way that the season's gone, like he scratched Ross a little bit. He, I think he he didn't play line eight for like a third period here, and then he didn't play line eight for another like uh, end of the game for another game. So it's like there's just some coaching decisions that he does that kind of just, as an outside point of view, you're like, why? He's literally your best, like line eight. He's your, he's your best offensive weapon, right? And you're not playing him when you're down one and six on five. It's stuff like that where it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think him being here five years, like like you said, it just kind of wears out on you over time. As a lease fan, it almost, or a former lease fan, it's almost like you see that similar disconnect between the GM and the coach, right? Where the GM lays out a team in front of you but the coach doesn't have the same vision as the GM and wants to play a certain way. So they misuse players. So like with line A, like, like I think there's a right intention that line A, you know, 6'4", uh, right winger, big, could or should, you know, be could have a little bit more of a power forward touch. So you can't fault, you know, Tortorella for trying that. But at some point, you also have to recognize like, you know, it's maybe a little bit too late to experiment or, you know, you've given it enough time to try. It's not work, so stop trying it now. Maybe it's time to try something else. So, like, I don't know. With with Line especially, right? Like, we talked about free agents wanting to sign there. Line is a restricted free agent. Will he want to resign? But you're an RFA, you kind of... You, you really don't have much to say, right? You're not going to be like, well, I'm going to go play in Finland for for a couple of years. Like, that doesn't really, that's not really a thing, right? You kind of just do your thing, right? And you don't, can't really trade him. Like, if you're the Blue Jackets, you're really not going to get, like, a good value for him. You're not getting a, you know, a high first liner back. At this rate, you're trying to trade him out there. You're probably going to get, like, a, Second, third liner at a prospect, maybe for line A. That, does that sound like a reasonable amount? Well, if you're trading the deadline, yeah, because he's an RFA, and realistically, like you don't know whether or not he wants to resign with the team he get if he gets traded to like to the team he gets traded to. You don't know if he wants to sign an extension there or not. So for that team, you don't want to offer too much, and you as of the jacket for the jackets, you can't get the value you got when you trade Dubois for like line A and Roslovic and whatnot. Um. He could go to Finland, but he's not. I think he's, I think he's too competitive to really go back to Finland at this time of his career. If that's, I don't know, if that's fair to say that. But I think no, yeah, like, I, I don't, I don't think Finland is no. That's just that, that's like a negotiation tactic more than anything, to be honest with you. And I think realistically, he could just like at worst case, he signs like a like what Dubois did, just sign like a two year like a team friendly deal and go get me out of here. And then see see what Yarmo can do because I honest to God I think I think Yarmo's done a good job building this team. It's just every I don't know every game um 
towards kind of just puts the lines in a blender. And I'm not kidding. Like some some days it's Stenlin being our one C. Sometimes it's Texier being our one C. Sometimes it's like Roslovic. There's no well, that, okay, but but in his defense, that's not that's not Kekalina's job to tell who one C is, right? That's towards more than anything. You got to give the coach some sort of like. Well, no, yes, that, but then at the same time, it's like. I guess with certain teams, like say, let's just bring the Leafs at the beginning. It's like you got uh, Matthews, Marner, and I think Thornton or Hyman or whoever. Like you know, generally who's going to be in your top top line or like you know your top six. But like with us, you don't know. Like Cam Atkinson is one of our better scorers, but there are certain days where Torch goes, "You're going to play on third line," and how do you say, it? "What if you put Mitch Marner on the third line? What if you put?" Jonathan Drulin on the third line, you know what I mean. What if you put Stamkos on the third? I'm not I'm sorry. That's not that's not a fair comparison. But like you know what I mean. If you put like the guy you th- who has the potential to be your first liner on the bottom six, I think there's an issue there. You know what? Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's let's move on. We've we've gone around this for a while here, haven't we? Um. So Jeffrey, next week is trade deadline. Hmm. And uh, you were concerned that we weren't going to, you know, have time to have a little bit of a preview show. So let's get at it right now, shall we? Well, I don't want to say it's a preview show, but, you know, as a podcast that recognizes its strengths and shortcomings, we know that we will not be able to, you know, put out a podcast in time for the trade deadline next week. But um, I was just thinking, you know, we can at least talk about a little bit, a couple of things here and there. And then next week, we might touch on a couple here and there. But um, yeah, do we really think it's going to be much of a trade deadline this year? Or is it just going to be another quiet day where there's not a single trade between, let's say, you know, 6 a.m. to noon. And then we'll get like five or six trades in the afternoon type of thing. I think I'm a, I'm a little concern for the trade shows this season um because there's no real stars you know every year you got like ooh, two or three guys like ooh, they trade anything gonna be traded i don't really see that this season it's just quiet this season like the expectation this year was maybe ooh, taylor hall was gonna be a guy or like batista echo like ooh, like those guys are gonna be like ooh, you know what i mean but Taylor Hall has 18 points in 34 games. Ekholm has 15 points in 30 games, which is nice. But, like, this isn't your – sorry, 18, Taylor Hall has 18 points in 34 games. But um, this is just way too quiet. There's no real stars on there. It's a lot of, be a lot of, death, a lot of death pieces. And I think another concern is most years you would see it like buyer straight draft picks. But this year, just because a lot of scouts can't go and watch players live, um, how do you value draft picks, right? So, like, that's where it's just, like, this – it's very interesting if you're working for a team, I think. But as a viewer or, you know, running the trade shows, this is a dud of a year, right? Like, if you're, you know, working in a team, like, okay, so we've got a deal for, I don't know, Kyle Palmieri – how do you value those draft picks? Because this year, more than any, is more of a crapshoot more than anything. And I know cut, I cut off Anson, so I'm just going to send the mic over to Anson. I was just going to say, if there was a year that you would just jettison all your draft picks, it would probably be this year. 
just because you don't like you said you don't know you don't know who your scouting is not there this year you can't really see a whole lot of games live and whatnot it's all video and like video is not as good as in person if i don't know let's just say like if they were like hey give us a first for at home depending what you know if you're how high you are in the standings right now um yeah like i'd how do say it i'd be more lenient into giving a first round pick just because i'm like i don't know what's happening this year or or maybe even next year so yeah i would i would definitely be more inclined to trade a first rounder this year as opposed to like the year like i don't know 2024's first round pick but here's the thing though right just because you sorry to cut you off there but just just because you want to trade you have to find value right if there came to you as like hey Dmitry Kulikov, we want a first round pick from, even though he scored, you know, two points in thirty three games. You're not gonna, you're still gonna say no, right? No, no, I understand that. Sorry, I mean like for the sake of it, let's just say Ekholm, not not Kulikov, but like Ekholm, like a first round pick. I'm like, and depending on the team you are, like you might be more leaning to saying like sure. Okay, but that's one thing though. Ekholm's trade value is ridiculous. Like the asking price for Ekholm is ridiculous um according to pierre lebrun it's a first round pick an elite prospect and a third asset which is unspecified so i'm guessing that's like you know either a, a bottom six uh sorry a bottom pairing defenseman or you know a defensive plug-in right now but are you training a first round pick and an elite prospect for him so if you're you know if you're the, the blue jackets for example are you trading your first round pick um, I don't know who else would, would be a bottom, like a plug and play defenseman there. Uh, a Mika Lettinen, for example. And uh, I don't know who you want to toss in there as well. Your top prospect. I don't know who the top prospect is. Is this Chenikov? Chenikov? Would you toss all three of, of those pieces in there? Oh, absolutely. Not. I don't think no. so. No. Yeah. No, if it was just, if it was like a first and like a Lettinen, sure, why not? But, um, like one, we're not really contending. Two, um, Chernikov's uh, a long-term project, and like yeah, like you said, it's a it's an elite pro- like an elite prospect. You don't want to give up an elite prospect for a rental unless you're like you're absolutely sure you're going to make at least the final four. Is the asking price not that far off though? Because I remember that Jake Muzzin trade where it was wasn't like Jersey. Uh, Grunstrom in a second for Muzzin, who also had a year left on his contract. Um, we could probably argue that Ekholm's better than Jake Muzzin, so I I wouldn't say that you shut your dirty mouth. I wouldn't say the uh, that asking price is too far off the like too far off, but I I, I would like you know counterpoint answer is that I I think GMs want to have all these extra lottery picks i think they would rather have draft picks this year because everyone's scouting's all over the place um teams might think that oh yeah we've got better scouting so that you know um why don't we take more shots in the dark and maybe we'll find one of those late round gems because you know this year is such a mess that uh, maybe the guys that we've identified might be those stars that other teams haven't figured out about yet so I mean, I could see teams just willing to, you know, take those extra picks and just see what they can get. Like, yes, they might not have scouted them fully, but I think teams would be excited to just have all these extra picks just to, you know, fool around with and maybe get the next, I don't know, Pavel Datsuk or something like that. But 
uh, I I would probably say um, with this uh, actual um, trade deadline, the thing that's going to make it probably the most boring is that are there really that many sellers that are have pieces to sell, right? Like we talk about, well, if we go to like the NHL, I mean, the, the Athletic or TSN, and you see guys like Matthias Ekholm and Mikhail Granlin on the draft board there, you know, Nashville's eight and two in their last 10. They're back in the playoff race right now. They're not selling those guys anymore. So like realistically, you look at the number of teams that might be sellers, I would argue Ottawa, Detroit, Anaheim, New Jersey, and Buffalo are the only five teams that we can say for sure right now that they're going to be sellers one week before the trade deadline. So Ottawa, Buffalo, Detroit, who else? Uh, New Jersey and Anaheim. So the bottom five teams in the league. Well, I mean, that's what a seller is, right? Like, you're not going to be the yeah, top no, team. Like just, so, just so I'm aware, the bottom five teams in the league, you'd say are sellers. Yeah. Like the absolute last teams on in the league right now. That's No, that's, that's reasonable. But I would also probably toss in a few other teams. Um, I think San Jose, you're, you're constantly, if you're San Jose, you're constantly listening. Anytime someone's like, we would like to take one of those massive deals on your hand, off your hands. You're you're being like, I just put you on my speed dial. <laughs> I think that's different though. I think that's a bit different than like selling at the deadline as opposed to just you know trading away like a long term contract. I guess yeah. You know what? Bottom five. Okay, if that's the case, yeah. Bottom five. I'll give you that. Um, but is that not most seasons where you get the bottom five? Maybe most of them get bottom eight. But bottom five, and maybe that's why the prices are so high, just because there's not many sellers and you got a lot of bubble teams, which is good. I, I like that. Um, but like, maybe. But if you look at the TSN trade bait board, like, it's not pretty, right? Your number one guy is not David Savard most years. And like, shout out to TSN for the laziest clickbait journalism. I've ever seen just number eight is Toronto's top prospect. Like name the prospects, you cowards. Like, just like, do you just want more people like, Ooh, is it Robertson? Is it uh, SDA? Is it, um, I forgot who they drafted this year first. Yeah. Is it Sandine? Is it, Ooh, it's like, okay, just name the prospect. Jesus Christ. Um, and like Chicago's cap space, I, I guess, but like, is that, really like a a weapon like is it is it a top item like chicago's cap space is what they have zero cap space fyi by the way if you look at from they have they're on ltr so i don't know how cap space is an asset for them i guess because you can add on other players since they have seabrook and taves out like i don't know maybe but then Okay, at the same time, why would you put LA? You have eight million in cap space, right? And deadline spacing takes thirty-seven million. So it's like, ooh, like I don't know. I'm not a fan of the board, I'll be honest with you. Um yeah, it's just not pretty as a whole. One name I am very intrigued for is Chris Dreger. I'm very intrigued with what goes on there since Spencer Knight did sign his uh ELC. So for me, that just tells me that. Drieger is not their long-term, right? He's not their long-term plans. UFA this season. He's played very well for 
what he's asked to do, right? Like, it's too, it, him in the NHL has been very good, right? Last season, 12 games played, 204 GAA, 938. This season, 16 games, 218, 927. As your backup goalie, holy, that's amazing, right? So, like, I'm curious what the plan is for him. I think he gets traded for more than you expect. I think, I think if you, sorry, I think if you trade for him, yes, it would be a lot, and he would be a good, at worst, a very good backup. Like you're one B for a for a team going to the playoffs. Like you sign him to a bridge deal next year, probably for like what million and a half. Well, okay, let's let's just say for like <clears throat> if say Toronto, like Freddie's down. It's right now is Campbell and I think Hutch, but like at the beginning of the season they had like Aaron Dell as their number three, and then they had, and then they got he got claimed by the on the waivers, and then so like in theory if and Jack Campbell is not a hundred percent right now I'm pretty sure, so and that's you know it's like what what if you bring Drigger like what if he's your number three, Chris Drigger is your number three goalie it would be spectacular for like a team going, uh going for the playoffs. Well, you're probably bringing in Drieger to be your number two, right? But the fact that he he's a rental, he's a pure rental. There's no bridge deals. He's a UFA. The big question with Florida is because if they like Drieger enough to bring him back, they a, have to hope he, they don't lose him to an expansion draft, but also hope that you know some other team's not going to offer him a whole bunch of money. So, like the way I look at it right now, like yes, he's on the trade board, but Florida's in the playoffs. Um, they would not. I would say that they would trade away Drieger because now they've got Spencer Knight backing up Brubowski. I think that's a little bit risky. Um, they still have Montembeau, which I really like. Um, so that's why I was kind of curious why Spencer Knight was signed. So like they could, you know, put Montembeau as a backup for now if they want. You know, let Spencer Knight get used to the NHL first. But to me, I I think Drieger's just on the board because you know he's an extra asset that florida has and that's why he's on the board and you're right maybe it's just there's not that much available right that's why they're putting up weird stuff like chicago's cap space they, they just gotta fill out names right like i'm sure most draft boards most years are you know 40 50 people long this year it's like about 20 30 because you know it, it's there's just too many bubble teams too many teams i think that they can make the playoffs and um that's why it's it sounds like it's gonna be a boring monday next monday or the monday after i mean yeah, it's not going to be a great trade deadline. Um, hear me out here. Yeah, um, I, like, hear me out. Sorry to cut you off. Let me jump in here. But like, yeah, part of the reason why I think he's on there is like Spencer Knight signing. Um, Monson Blow, I think, can be a backup if need be. DeRozier has been playing, you know, hasn't played this season, but he's pretty good in the AHL. You know, he, he, he can get what you need for a backup, right? Um, and I think they don't want to... What's what I'm looking for? They don't want to lose him for anything. For nothing. Sorry, not for anything. For nothing. And I think they're at the risk if they don't trade him by Monday, they'll lose him for nothing. Yeah, but you also get him for 20 games and into the playoffs. So I think that's reasonable for um, what you're, you know, potentially losing him for nothing is always, you know, something that's hard to debate, right? Because realistically, you're not losing him for nothing. You're just, you know... Um, 
you get the games after the trade deadline. You get him for that full season, even right. He's he's your one year rental. So, um, I, I I'm okay if Drieger stays. I think if he does get traded, um, it, you're right. It's going to be a fairly high price for whichever team does do that deal. But, um, I just think there's just there's just such so many teams that are looking for, you know, things. But a they don't have enough cap space. B, there's the quarantine protocols. And C, I, I feel like a lot of teams don't have enough roster spots, right? Yes, if you have the cap space, but then you don't have the roster spots, and it just causes more problems. So um, we'll see what happens next Monday. We we really didn't want to go into too much stuff, I find, just because, you know, like things are going to change within this next week anyway. So we can make some random predictions, but uh, um, they'll probably all be wrong. But uh, I think it's just good to talk about it, get out of the way, because we're probably going to miss it uh, next week. Okay. So, final topic, because we, we got to run soon. Um, not just me. So, are you ready for the spicy takes this week? The, of the Spicy take of the week. What, what do you got? What do you got? Jeff O'Neill this week saying that there's a 100% chance Zach Hyman will make the Team Canada Olympic team. That is a spicy take, knowing how stacked Canada is on forwards. Like, I would assume when you, you know, take a take a brief... I'm just going to put together, you know, a very quick Canada team. I'm just going to take Sportsnet's Team Canada team from, 20, from uh, July of last year. But I think it's close enough. Please tell me if Zach Hyman is better than any of these players. Brad Marchand... Sidney Crosby, Patrice Bergeron. Would you replace any of those three with Zach Hyman? Nope. No. Okay. Um, Barzell, McDavid, McKinnon. Would you replace Zach Hyman with those three players? Absolutely. All of them. No. Jeffrey? Just read them all out. You already know our answers. Stamkos, Point, Marner, Tavares, O'Reilly, Stone, Huberto, Shifley for a couple extras. I think we get your point there. I think we get your point, Allison. That is us. That is the spiciest take I've seen all week, and I just wanted to point out that I love it. And I guess for you guys, it's in two weeks' time. Do you hear rumblings from us from any hot taker that Alex Galchenyuk is a dark horse for the American team, <laughs> or is that too spicy of a take? That's hot. That's too much, dude. That's like saying <laughs> Lennon, like the guy we just acquired, is going to make the Finnish team. But it's not Toronto. Well, I would say for Hyman, it's because, you know, two years ago, right? Hyman, Marner, Tavares. Uh, for Tavares, 35 of his, you know, whole bunch of points came with that line. So, he, like, I, I feel like with the Olympics, most years, it's about... Which it's about chemistry, right? You're putting the best players in the world um, on the same team, uh, and yes, they're all great players individually, but can they play with one another? So that's why you have the Chris Kunitz of the world, you have the Brent Seabrooks of the world, who, or even Jake Muzzin, I would say, right? Like they are guys that have played with a star, and you know, why don't we go for something that we know that works? Then you know, try to experiment one week before the Olympics, right? So. Um, I, I can see where Jeff O'Neill's going, but um, it, 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 he's he's maybe gone a little bit too far, and um, I think the your Gauchenyuk um 
some a hot take there is uh maybe even going further than uh, wherever uh, Jeff O'Neill was going. Do you think he's going to replace Brian O'Reilly, Taylor Hall, Bo Horvat, Sagan, Couture, and Giroux on the reserve list? <laughs> uh, you said Taylor Hall there, right? Well, I did say Taylor Hall. This was, I think, last I week. I would say, you know what? This season, I would say, you know, there is a, there is a chance, actually. This season, uh, you're, I'm, yeah, you're right. I don't disagree with you. I just, but the rest of them, Ryan Horali, Horvat, Sagan, Couture, Giroux. That's your, <laughs> that's your, um, that's not even your extras. That's like your call-ups. Yeah, that's, that's, it's not a great take. I'll give you that. Like, <sighs> Hugo <laughs> barely makes a team. Like, I don't know about that one. It's not a great take. It's just content, right? It's just a way to drive discussion. It's a way to, you know, drive traffic to um certain people. So, you know what? To each their own. That's why I find Alston comes up with really bad hot takes as well because he feels that he can drive traffic. But um well, why don't Alston we let you let's let you finish off on a hot take with our final thoughts here today. What's a a super hot take that you think is going to sound smart and uh, drive traffic to the Bag of Books podcast? Oh, are you ready for this one? I would consider Carter Verhage for the Olympic team if he continues at this pace. Hot take. <laughs> oh, with that being said, I will start. I will start. With that being said, I will uh, start with um, thanking everyone for listening to our podcast. And uh, we love y'all. And uh, wash your damn hands. Uh, I think the season's still going to end on time because I'm an optimist. And... Uh, Love y'all. Anson? Yeah. So, quick, very quickly. Uh, we didn't touch on Elias Allmark, but hopefully we get to it next week. But this man's a UFA, and he he is single-handedly saving the Buffalo Sabres season. And uh, same with Olsen. I absolutely think it's going to finish on time, but it's looking bleak for a few teams. And as always, uh, we all know that the NHL season is uh, not going to finish on time. Uh, we don't know which world Olsen and Anson are living on, but uh, clearly they didn't even listen to us talk about COVID today and how that uh, the Edmonton Oilers are not going to be able to finish the season on time if they need to replay those uh, Vancouver Canucks games. But uh, we'll move on from that. And, uh, you know, everyone, stay safe. Wear a mask um, to keep both yourself and others safe. Um I'm sure Olsen's already said, wash your damn hands. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. I can't believe none of you had a hotter take than Carter for Hagee being Olympic consideration. Bye. How about, how about Linus Omar? Eight years, $10 million. <laughs> you got to believe it. <laughs> All right. See you later, guys. Love y'all. Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.